Yes, yes, I see. Hey, good afternoon, you. Welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Radio Show, broadcasting live from the heart of Salford, as the heart and soul of Salford, the 24th of January 2024. Good evening. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I've got a fascinating guest for you. I really have. In around about 30 minutes' time, I'll be introducing you to Captain Dan Hanley. He's, uh, he flew. He's still flying, but he flew for over 50 years, civilian aircraft, naval aircraft. He was the United Airlines captain for many years. He was wrongfully terminated, he believes, in 2003 for speaking out about safety, security and issues to do with September the 11th. He's made a documentary and these days he runs a very important group, a coalition of pilots who continue to ask questions about the official story of September the 11th. I cannot wait to speak with and I cannot wait for you to hear Captain Dan Hanley. Wednesday's programme, with me, Richie Allen, you can reach out to me via the website, richieallen.co.uk. There is an app for the programme. Download the app, for Christ's sake, download it. I'm asking you now for months, months I'm asking you. Download the bloody thing. You'll get it via Apple's App Store or Google Play. Yeah, every now and then I allow the theme tune to run for another 10 seconds so I can do a little bit of Irish dancing with my hands welded to my sides. That's how you Irish dance if you're a boy. Girls can, no, no, by your sides, by your sides. Anyway, hope all is well. I've said that. Okay, I've said it. I've said it again because I mean it. And conscription. Do you like this? You've heard this today. You've read it. You may have heard the paper's podcast. It's a podcast which... It it finds its way onto the internet every morning before 7.30am UK time, sometimes earlier, depending on when I get back from my morning walk with the dogs. So you might have heard me talk about this. Uh, generals, major generals, sergeant majors, privates, even privates, uh, MPs who used to be in the army. Status quo, no status quo, were not involved. Uh, they said people in the UK need to be thinking about war. That is what they said. You, I, and the person standing next to you needs to be worried about war, thinking about it, because the baddies around the world are just getting badder. They're getting badder and meaner. And they, they hate us. They hate This chestnut, this horse manure has been dried out and it has been rejigged and rolled out year in, year out for about 25 years now. This bullshit. They hate us. They hate our freedoms and our liberties. I don't have too much. Well, I do, I suppose, have a bit of freedom. But uh, I would have thought, I would have imagined that the biggest threat to freedom and liberty is not coming from Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, or even Syria, or even Libya, or Afghanistan, or the Taliban. The greatest threat is coming from the puppets in Number 10 Downing Street and Westminster. But no, apparently the baddies around the world are getting badder. And they've said we might need to bring conscription in in the future for a war against Russia. We need to mobilise people. Can you imagine it? Just think now for a minute. Just think. They have infantilized an entire generation of people. Told them that their lived experience trumps hard facts. 
As I told them, they can be one of several hundred genders, that women can have penises and men can have periods. As I've told these kids that their pet cats may be non-binary. That isn't bullshit. Check out my Twitter. I posted a link from the Telegraph the other day. Your cats might be non-binary. As I told them that a cold could kill them and everyone around them. They gave them trigger warnings so that they won't be upset by 40-year-old television shows. As they told them that names really do hurt more than sticks and stones, and if they rat on somebody for calling them a name, well, that person will be cancelled. They told them that everybody in the school sports day races will get a medal and we shouldn't declare a winner because participation matters. We gave them 20 vaccines before they turned 13 years old. 7% of all boys in the UK have autism. I tell you what, the Russians must be fucking shitting themselves, eh? Can you imagine the Russians, the hardest people on planet Earth? What? you? I'm not going to attempt the Russian accent because I can't do it. Like all the other accents I've attempted over the years. Imagine the Russians, what they're thinking now. What, they're, they're going to mobilise that generation, are they? Yeah? Right. We're shitting ourselves. Tom? Let me ask you something. Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. Are they out of their minds? What's going on? Would you like to venture a guess? Would you? I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll come at me with, well, they're probably preparing for World War Three, Richie. You know, it's inevitable. I don't know if it is, really, to be honest. I don't know, maybe. Global conflict, Paul Craig Roberts certainly thinks it's possible. Where's Gerald Salente when you need him, the great man from the Trends Journal? Imagine this generation. And it sounds like we have a real downer. On the, and by this generation, I, I mean the 16, 17 to 25-year-olds. That's the generation they've infantilized, That they've basically made them scared of their own poo, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll conscript you when the time comes. Good luck with that, I say. Speaking of jabs, because I did speak momentarily of jabs, this week seemingly was set aside to push vaccines. Mentioned on the Papers podcast this morning, I'm going to continue to promote the Papers podcast. It's shite, but it's listenable, and there isn't much else on at that hour of the morning. That's how I'm getting away with it, you see. It's there, and there's nothing else there. So you can have me at half seven in the morning if you like. There's nothing else there apart from me. Me, 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 me. So it seems they've set aside the week to push the jabs, the measles, the HPV, the whooping cough and all of that old shite. It's been uh, this way or that way all week. I can never get my this or that right. I don't know. And I'm an English graduate. Can you help me out? Like, When is it appropriate to say this or that? I d- I've forgotten. It's been this way or it's been that way all week. I think it's that way all week. Jeremy Vine, propagandist, works for the BBC and Channel 5 this morning. Um, had Gina Miller on. Remember Gina Miller, the anti-Brexit nitwit, silly woman, uh, launched a party called the True and Fair Party. And I bet you this is the first time you've heard of it, right? Because it disappeared out of existence. Daft cow. Daft cow. Misogyny, I don't care. Daft cow. Uh, she was on Vine's panel today talking about the measles and why we need to do something to get the anti-vaxxers off of social media once and for all. The researchers are saying it's part of this conspiracy theory, it's anti-vaxxers nonsense that started. Um, and it's putting parents off. I mean, measles is a serious disease. Serious. And it can cause death. And we've got to, you know, this this is something we've got to have a campaign, in my view, a massive campaign to to, for, to get parents 
to make sure that their children are actually inoculated. I, 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 I volunteered Gina Miller to head up to lead the campaign to get every child vaccinated against measles because Gina Miller couldn't organise a fucking piss up in a brewery. Uh, Gina Miller led the anti-Brexit pro-Remain campaign and made a complete balls of that. So I say, go for it, Gina. You try and convince everybody in the country they should have a measles jab and... um, We'll see how you get on. And it started with that ridiculous thing in MMR. Yeah. A discredited yeah, doctor yeah. who made up a load of lies and he's now in America doing the yeah, same thing. Yeah, debunked completely, yeah. It's completely debunked and yet it's taken yeah. hold. And on social media, there's a huge movement and that's got to be closed down, in my view, by the platforms. Oh, they've got to close it down. Close down. People who talk about vaccine injuries, close it down. It is harming our society. Yeah. Our it isn't. It isn't. It's actually saving lives, ironically. Uh, people who go online and talk about vaccine injuries is actually, perversely, perversely if you're Gina Miller, it's saving lives. Because everybody who's just about to get one of those toxic pieces of shit looks at maybe a Facebook post or maybe something on Twitter. Often it's by real doctors. And they go, well, maybe I might give it a second thought, maybe. Maybe I won't have it. So I'd say it's the opposite. It's a good thing. I mean, there's a footballer, Matt Letizia, who's... Oh, he's having a go at Matt Letizia now. So they started off... I'm having a go at Andy Wakefield. By the way, Clifford Miller, no relation to Gina Miller, a former lawyer, was on this programme last night. Very good guy, very interesting, and talked about how Andy Wakefield was fitted up in uh, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, when they went after him, years after he published the article in The Lancet, which linked the measles jab to, the MMR jab, I should say, to to autism and colitis. So um, that story is not cut and dry, and Gina Miller probably knows nothing about it. Andy Wakefield wasn't debunked at all. It seems very much to me like Andy Wakefield was fitted up. Suddenly gone on anti-vax, you know what I mean? It, it, there was people who get seized by this idea, and I did, it's just so strange. What? It's just so strange. So strange that people would get seized by this idea, seized, when they are hearing all of these stories in their local villages and towns and cities. All of these stories about people becoming very unwell, post-vaccination. Very strange. Very strange that people are not stupid. Very strange that they're not stupid enough to go and get a job after hearing that somebody else was injured by the same job. Very strange, says Jeremy Vine. This is the Richie Allen Show. Wednesday's programme, it's uh, ten and a half minutes past the hour of four o'clock. Captain Dan Hanley will be on the programme um, soon to talk about his website, his mission, and a documentary film that came out late last year, which I think is very interesting indeed. We'll go back. We'll ask Dan. I'm looking forward to chatting with him. It'll be an extended conversation. We'll ask him, is there any point? And it's a genuine question. I think there probably is. There is. There is, I think. I think it's still worthwhile. But some people think, you know, the 9-11 ship has maybe sailed a bit. It's a bit too long ago now, like JFK and, and, other, and other assassinations and false flag events and, and whatnot. I suppose you could you could accuse, you could label the JFK assassination as false flag, couldn't you? If you if you believe as I do that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't pull pull any trigger on the day, he might have been involved somehow, but he certainly didn't shoot him. Um, well, then he was the patsy, so you could say it was a false flag. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about Prime Minister's questions. Uh, before that, though, David Cameron, who made a miraculous return to frontline politics. Did indeed the former Prime Minister, when he was appointed as the UK's Foreign Secretary. Lord Cameron these days sits in the House of Lords, is the 
Foreign Secretary. And he's in the Middle East today, wait for it, according to the Times, according to the Telegraph, and according to Sky News, he's there to, quote, put pressure on Benjamin Netanyahu. Don't make me laugh. He's not there to put any pressure on Netanyahu. Um, Prime Minister's questions today. Tahir Ali is a Labour MP from Birmingham. Uh, PMQ's Prime Minister's questions, just in case you don't know. It happens every Wednesday noon. It goes on for between 30 and 35 minutes. And questions, MPs get to ask the Prime Minister questions. Sadly, though, and you probably won't be surprised, he has given advance knowledge of what the questions will be. Yeah. Anyway, Tahir Ali wanted to ask him about the situation in Gaza. Listen. Tahir Ali. Mr Speaker, recently released documents reveal that the Foreign Office had serious concerns about the Israel's compliance with international humanitarian law and its ongoing assault uh, on Gaza. This is important now. Um, leaked documents from the Foreign Office, which, which um, are available for everybody online, show that the Foreign Office, which is a division of government, a department of government, um, was gravely concerned about crimes against humanity being committed against Palestinians in Gaza. And Rishi Sunak would have known this. Yet, having seen these um, concerns, seen these documents, Sunak continued to stand up in the House of Commons and to declare that Israel was not breaching international law. So that's a grievous... Um, how, would you, how, would you, how would you say it? That is, I, w- I, would, I would argue that's a misconduct by a Prime Minister. You know that the Israelis are committing crimes against humanity, but you go to the House of Commons and you say they are not, and that is what this guy is getting at. This assessment was hidden from Parliament. It was. Whilst the Prime Minister boldly stated his confidence in Israel's respect for international law. Since then, the scale of Israel's war crimes in Gaza have been revealed to the world thanks to South Africa's case to the ICJ. Therefore, is it now not the time for the Prime Minister to admit that he has the blood of thousands of innocent people on his hands and for him to commit to demanding an immediate ceasefire and an ending of UK's arms trade with Israel? He's been shouted down by people on his own side, as well as the Tories. Pretty reasonable question. You were saying that you were confident that Israel was obeying international law, while you knew it wasn't. Um, The blood is on your hands because you're not doing anything about it. Would you call for a ceasefire? And he's getting roundly booed by people on all sides, including his own. It's a serious question. Um, but Sunak ignores the first part of it, which is you knew they were committing a genocidal acts against the Gazans and you continue to say they were doing uh, what they were doing within the boundaries of international law. What did Sunak say? Mr Speaker, that's the face of the changed Labour Party. Mm. Billionaire Rishi Sunak, it is relevant that he's a billionaire. He's a Goldman Sachs employee. He's a billionaire these days as is his wife, um, decided that I'll ignore that and I'll um, spit across the aisle and say to Ali, this is the face of the changed Labour Party. I'm asking you to call a ceasefire. What they're doing there is inhuman. It's inhumane. It's, uh, it's wrong on every level. 
you knew it was wrong. Why didn't you do something about it? And will you do something about it now? And that's what he gets. Did Stephen Flynn of the Scottish National Party, now he's the SNP leader in Westminster, did he have any better look? Did he fare any better when questioning Sunak on Israel? Now you may be aware, you may not be aware, but ITV, ITN, the news wing of ITV, ran an exclusive story yesterday showing a unarmed Palestinian man carrying a white flag, completely unarmed, non-threatening, shot to death by the IDF. You see this, you might have seen it. Stephen Flynn decided he'll ask Sunak about it. Mr Speaker, last night as Tory MPs were once again fighting amongst themselves, the public were sat at home watching John Irvin of ITV News report on footage from Gaza of an unarmed Palestinian man walking under a white flag, being shot and killed by the IDF. Prime Minister, such an act constitutes a war crime, does it not? Good question. Mr Speaker, we've been absolutely... It's a simple question. Is it a war crime to kill a guy wearing a T-shirt, waving a white flag over his head, he's on his own, he's no threat to anybody, it's clear he's not got a suicide vest on him or anything at all. Um, They thought the IDF that the reporters were, were not filming it. And they killed this guy. Is it a war crime? Consistent that international humanitarian law should be respected and civilians uh, will be, should be protected. I've made that point expressly to Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Foreign Secretary is in the region this week making exactly the same point. So he didn't answer it. So he had another go, Stephen Flynn. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to rise to that dispatch box and tell the people of these isles and elsewhere that shooting an unarmed man walking under a white flag is a war crime. Now, now in recent weeks, this House has acted with urgency and intent following an ITV drama. The question is, will this House now show the same urgency and intent following this ITV news report? And finally, back a ceasefire in Gaza. Mr Speaker, no one wants to see this conflict go on for a moment longer than necessary. And we do want to see an immediate and sustained humanitarian pause to get more aid in and, crucially, the hostages. It's even more farcical than the famous carry-on films of the 60s and 70s. I say say this because the Israeli government receives material support in the form of arms and money from the UK and the United States of America. So it's hilarious for Sunak to stand there and to say, we're pressing Netanyahu to act within international law to minimise civilian casualties. Well, at the same time, we're giving the, 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 the deadliest and most disgusting and destructive weapons ever devised. So we're, we're telling him to behave himself in Palestine, but we're handing him some of the most awful, god-awful things that mankind ever produced. Yeah. Let's just leave that one for now. It depresses me. I'm sure it depresses you too. It's just past 19 minutes past the hour. There's an Ofcom story. Let's do it briefly. Uh, An Ofcom story. The Official Communications Act. The abbreviation is Ofcom. Ofcom regulates the media in the UK. I mentioned on uh, the podcast, I mentioned on this programme many times over the years, um... I mentioned Ofcom and what it does. So it was announced over the weekend it is going to regulate the BBC's online 
output. And this is in the wake of lots of accusations that the BBC is biased. Now, you are not stupid. You know that the BBC is, of course, biased. Of course it's biased, but it doesn't make the BBC any different from ITN News, despite congratulations on, you know, the exclusive they, 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 they got out of Gaza last night. But whether it's ITN, whether it's Channel 4, whether it's GB News, LBC, Talk TV, they're all biased, of course. All of these organisations have an agenda. All of these organisations are there to represent a specific point of view. BBC is no different. I suppose the thing that goals some people is that you pay for the BBC. I don't, and I'm sure you don't either. But uh, many people in this country, they pay more than £160 a year for the rights to watch the BBC. And it is believed that the BBC, BBC even should be completely impartial because of that. Public funded, be impartial, report the facts and just the facts. So Ofcom is saying, right, because of all of this controversy, because the BBC has been accused of bias, anti-Israeli bias and whatnot, that it's time that we regulate their online content. Now, I say this and I mean it. I am not being melodramatic. This is the beginning of the end for the online independent media. And I explained this on the Papers podcast the other day. It really is, right? You know, th- this, is how, this is their in to ultimately claiming domain over the online independent media. Even sole traders like me, right? So I'm not connected to anybody. Um, I'm, I'm not part of a radio station schedule. I'm not. So you won't find me on a schedule anyway. I don't work for a radio station online or otherwise. It's just me here. But that, that's what they're going to do. They're going to come after the independent operators and say, you must be licensed by us. That's coming. This is the first shot to cross the bows. This, we're going after the BBC online because previously Ofcom had no domain over internet radio or news that is published online. No domain. Okay, but it does now. So, um, Melanie Dawes is the chief executive of Ofcom. She was on Sky this morning with Kay Burley and here's a little bit of that. How difficult is it to... um look at, I don't know, the BBC, GB News, other broadcasters that might be somewhere in the middle and then decide who is doing as they should and who needs to be reprimanded? Well, look, a lot of this is about the audience. So we always take into account who's watching, what they're expecting. Uh, What we don't want is some form of uniform broadcasting in this country. There is definitely a role for, you know, organisations like GB News or others that are maybe coming from a particular perspective, provided that for each individual programme they meet our impartiality rules and that they have a sufficient range of views brought to bear on matters of important public policy. So that's what we ask, uh, but they have a lot of flexibility within that. Uh, and I think, you know, that's really important because the last thing we want to do is close down debate, close down opinions and, and have some kind of rather sterile and boring. Uh... The last thing we want to do is close down debate, close down opinions, uh, close down opinions and have a rather sterile, boring media landscape. She's lying. We'll watch this one. Of course we will. 23 past the hour. Let me read some of your comments. I solicited I solicited them. Yes, yes. 24 days today. 24 days off the booze. You know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's January. I think once you get right into the dead of winter, I think we're all a little bit um, run down, aren't we? 
because we've had a lot of very short days, very little sunlight, very little natural UV rays, no vitamin D3 naturally, so we're a little bit run down. And I've been asking myself, why do I not feel any more invigorated 24 days off the beer, don't panic, it isn't my way of getting back to the fridge full of beers, you know, by saying, well, it's not working, Uh, I'm just as tired, so I might as well have a Guinness. No, no, I'm going to carry on until February 1st, because I'm a man, I'm a man of great conviction when I decide to do things, but um, I'd have thought I'd have had a lot more energy. But maybe it's the seasonal thing. Maybe it's seasonal affective disorder. I'm a sad bastard. Good evening to Don. How can anyone vote for either Labour or the Tories in the next general election? It's Don. Yes, Don. How could anybody vote for Donald the scumbag Trump or Joe equally scumbag Biden? I don't understand it either. When will the penny drop? Is that it is two cheeks of the same arse, two sides of the same penny... You get the same outcome no matter who you vote for. Lewis says, Great to see young people refusing to join the forces. Seeing sense at last. Why go and fight in illegal wars and come back disabled for life so that people like Tony Blair can buy another pad in Mayfair? Hello to Heather, who says, Going by the yellow card reporting system, there are as many deaths by the MMR jab as there are with measles infection itself. Approximately one a year, says Heather. Good point, Heather. Very good. That's right. You have morons like Gina Miller. Oh, we've got to get rid of the independent media. We've got to kick them off uh, the social media when they talk about vaccines. And measles can be deadly. Yeah, to possibly one in 100,000 children. And that's a big if. That statistic itself is dubious. I'll take the chances with the one in 100,000. Thank you. Hi to Wiz, who says, anybody who believes the shite about conscription deserves to be conscripted. Thank you. Grace Ann says, with all the men being women and all the women being men, then good luck to Britain finding real men to sign up to any war. I don't think any of us have this stomach. Not my war. I have nothing against anyone living in any other country. They've never done me any harm. Richie, one of the most important things ever said, and I do, believe, I do really believe this in my, in my heart, not just saying it now to curry favour with my listeners of colour. What a, what, a, what a statement by the late great Muhammad Ali. I couldn't tell you exactly which year um, he made the statement. It had to be around about 67, 66, 67. He said, no Viet Cong ever called me a nigger. And that was profound because that was much deeper than the soundbite. And he totally, obviously understood it. What that really meant was... Why the hell would I fly 3,000 miles around the world to shoot at people whose daily lives are not that different from the daily lives of people living in, in Kentucky, in Louisiana, in, in Texas, in, I don't know, Oklahoma. They get up out of bed, they put clothes on their kids, they go to work, they come home, they feed their kids, they're knackered, they fall asleep in front of the radio or the television, and the following day, they rinse and repeat. Why would I want to do that? Not enough people in this country, or in the United States, or in France, ask that question, what do we have against Russia, or Russians? The answer is nothing. 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 The only danger to life to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness. It's coming from the governments that have sold out to the Great Reset. 
Not from people in Russia who have no interest in fighting against Britain or America. And you have these former army guys now serving in government or as, as, as MPs in, in Parliament, Tobias Elwood, going on television talking about how dangerous the world is becoming. And we need to train people and conscript people. Fuck them, all of them, every one of them. Fuck them and their children. I remember Michael Moore years ago going to um, making, making Fahrenheit 9-11, going to members of Congress and handing them forms sign-up forms for the military. You want to fight wars, do you, overseas? Sign up your own fucking children then. You sign up to it. And let the rest of us get on with it. Get on with our lives. Because there's nothing different between me, you, people living in North Korea, South Korea, West fucking Virginia. We're all the same. All of us. No matter the skin colour, no matter your religion. We're all fucked. There's a big jackboot, not a sword of Damocles, a jackboot hovering over every one of us. And the fuckers responsible for it want us to fight one another. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, let's do that. Let's all fight one another. Let's join the army and go and fight Russia and go and fight in Iran. Fucking morons. Maybe this is the generation. Maybe we lampoon the youngsters. We take the piss out of them. Maybe. Maybe we're wrong to do that. Maybe this is the generation that will stick two fingers up to it and say, stick your wars of aggression and your terrorism, and your drone wars, and your, you know, um, invading the, the, the sovereignty of countries by dropping bombs in, so- fuck all of this, we're not having it anymore, maybe. I live in hope. I suppose if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. It is 29 and one half minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. Got a tune coming up, and after that, we'll be joined by Captain Dan Hanley. And that's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to speak to him because I know some gentlemen, and they are gentlemen, and I know a lady, Anne, I don't know if you're listening, good evening, Anne, uh, a lady who's a pilot, wonderful woman. Um, Anne was on the programme years ago. I know some pilots. You know, I'm, I'm down with pilots. And um, they'll be very interested in, in hearing Dan. So Dan will be on to talk about all things 9-11 and... Uh, his group, he represents pilots around the world who continue to campaign for the truth about what happened on that day. They made a documentary, so we'll do all that. This week, uh, the Richie Allen Show is supported by and sponsored by a great company and a great friend. It is NutraHealth365.com joint support. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability, and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse, and you want relief, Go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our joint health supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day tract delivery. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Yeah, you're very welcome back. 29 minutes to the top of the air. I will be... Uh, uh, dialing up uh, Dan Hanley, Captain Dan, in a moment. More of your messages coming in. Uh, Gail says, I think what they want is to conscript the women. Let's face it, they're more feisty than the men these days. She says, this Gail, you might be right, Gail. 
Uh, Kay says, about conscription, when they can't get volunteers, is that when we will need a European army? And guess what? We have loads of fighting age fit men who arrive in dinghies. That would be ideal for this army. I'm trying to make sense of the nonsense, says Kay. Hello to Gypsy Bry. Hello, Gypsy Bry, and thank you. Uh, Gypsy Bry likes the papers podcast. It's good to know that. Simon says, trannies with guns, it might just scare the shite out of the opposition, says Simon. Thank you, Simon. It just might do, you know. If they tell you to go over the top and you've got a big gaggle of trannies the other side of the trench coming at you with their lipstick and their fake boobies. Yeah. This is music from Wet Leg. Too late now, I think it's called. I could be wrong, though. I'm known to be wrong. No, it is too late now. Back in a moment with my guest today. Right, music from Wet Legs. That is too late now on the Richie Allen Show. I'm partial to a bit of Wet Leg. They're due to release, I think, well, they should be due to release a new album. I would reckon pretty soon. I look forward to that. You know, I'm, I'm so late to most things. It might already be in the pipeline. I don't know. Anyway, before we welcome Dan to the programme, and I'm glad, I'm really looking forward to speaking with Dan, and there is huge interest in him coming on. Let me, do you know, we, we talked about younger people. So if you were born after September the 11th, 2001, you might go to Wikipedia to read about it. It's not a good thing, of course, we've talked about this many times, but Wikipedia has become, there are better men, there are people listening to this programme are better than me, many, many people better than I am, at explaining sometimes what it is I want to say. Um, Wikipedia is becoming the record, the official record for historical events, and that's a dangerous thing. But it is, it's becoming, and has become, and probably is the official record. And um, people increasingly are, are more likely, when looking for a bit of information, to go to Wikipedia. And if you go to Wikipedia, it'll tell you that 9-11 was four coordinated Islamist suicide terrorist attacks carried out by Al-Qaeda against the US in 2001. That morning, 19 terrorists hijacked four commercial airliners scheduled to travel from the New England and Mid-Atlantic regions of the East Coast to California. The hijackers crashed the first two planes into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City, two of the world's five largest buildings at the time, and aimed the next two flights towards targets in or near Washington, D.C., striking the Pentagon. Another plane went down in rural Pennsylvania following a passenger revolt. 3,000 people uh, just under 3,000 people killed and many more thousands injured. So that's the official version of it. And more, you know, kids, not around, might be inclined to go and read that and would take it as a given this is what happened. Um, we think it's slightly, well, not slightly, we think the the events of that day, that there is a much bigger story that has never been told, certainly not in the mainstream media. My guest today... Uh, flew, has flown for over 50 years, first as a civilian pilot, then in the Navy, as a naval aviator. He worked for years as a United Airlines captain. He was wrongfully dismissed, he believes, and forced into early retirement because he raised uh, issues around safety, security, and um, issues around September the 11th. 
okay? Now, he uh, represents an organisation, um, uh, which we're going to talk about, and he is the man behind the director of a film, which I recommend everybody watching, entitled Nine. 11 pilot whistleblowers. Let's welcome to the program Captain Dan Hanley. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, Richard. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the program. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. And I just want to say from the outset, um, we have as much time now as you'd like. Um, We've got about 65 to 70 minutes. We can have all that time if we need. So there's no need for us to skip over things or rush things. I can't wait to get into this with you. First of all, Dan, do you remember where you were on the morning of September the 11th? Because the first thing I'm wondering is, were you on duty yourself? Were you in the air? And if not, where were you? I remember everything very well, uh, Richie. I just come back from, I was flying out of uh, New York and I lived in Atlanta at the time, but I was coming back from the uh, West Coast on the 10th and spent the night in Newark. And uh, I was going to go to London the next day, the next evening. And I actually slept through everything. Uh, I got up uh, at like 11 o'clock and it had all happened. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get an outside line or call on my cell phone. But finally got through to my wife at the time. And I, I, I had gotten a bunch of voicemail from people saying, it's so terrible, Dan. We've talked to Jeannie. She's fine. And I'm thinking something happened to my kids. So when I talked to my wife, I said uh, to her, is it the kids? And she goes, what are you talking about? I go, did something happen to the kids? She goes, you don't know. I said, no, what? And then she told me two planes hit the tires. They're down already. And another one hit the Pentagon and the United Airlines airplane was in uh, Pennsylvania. And I was like dumbfounded. I went over the window. I was on the 17th floor of the Newark Hilton at the time and threw the curtains open and saw the I, I couldn't see the south end of Manhattan, but I could see the smoke over the city and the New Jersey turnpike was a, like a parking lot. So I was pretty dumbfounded and thought that we were under attack. And uh, my first knee jerk reaction was to get out of town. But that's where I was. Rich. That's where you were. And did I mean, your blood ran cold and even more so maybe because of your training and because of your experience. You're a pilot. I imagine, Dan, that you must have been thinking, God, love these pilots. I mean, where were they? Were they, what was their situation? How did they experience this? I mean, that must have been on your mind, I imagine. Well, it was, Richie. And uh, initially, I thought we were under attack. I believe this story. There's a lot of people say, say that when they saw the towers came, come down, they didn't believe uh, they could come down that way and began questioning the official story. But I didn't that morning. Uh, I wound up because all the flights were grounded uh, going over to the Newark airport and spending the day because that's where United Flight 93 departed from the crash out in uh, Pennsylvania. And I thought maybe I could help out over there. So I spent the day over there and I only got to watch TV as I was shaving and taking a shower and uh, hearing Giuliani saying people were jumping out of buildings. And I was like uh, horrified at everything that was going on. But, uh, it wasn't until I got over the Newark airport and was able to sit down and watch the TV that I was able to assimilate uh, what had happened. And uh, so it was, it was a nightmare experience for everybody. Yeah, and I don't want to dwell on this, but I, I just I can't imagine what it must be like for a pilot when you see the replays of the planes hitting the buildings. As a man who would have sat in a cockpit thousands of times, 
that must have had a special horror for you, uh, Dan, because I suppose it's every pilot's worst nightmare, and maybe it isn't. I mean, I, I like I said in my introduction earlier, I, I know some pilots, and they tend to be pretty chilled and pretty unflappable people, but I imagine it crosses your mind every now and then, every time you go up there, you know, if something goes wrong, you're very vulnerable, and for a pilot to be watching this footage on the news of these planes going in, it must have been the ultimate horror. It was. It was just watching. As a matter of fact, they kept replaying the, the film footage of the planes hitting the tires so many times that I thought to myself, "People aren't going to get back on a commercial jet aircraft." Uh, I thought I thought I was out of a job that morning because two United airplanes had uh, crashed, and I thought uh, United won't survive this financially. But uh, by the time I got back home to Atlanta the next day. They were still showing this film footage and CNN's based in Atlanta. And I called down and got a hold of a producer and I go, everybody gets it. Do you want to keep playing that thing, that same film over and over again? Nobody's going to get on airplanes. It's horrifying, but they kept on. I called uh, public relations at United and said the same thing to him. Get that film off the air. Everybody understands what happened. Well done, Dan. Well done, because I was working for a commercial radio station in Ireland at the time. And I thought it was a bit sickening for the news media to continue to show the film. I thought it was really, um, it, it, it was, it, they, they, didn't, they didn't give any thought whatsoever to the families of the people on board, you know, who might need a right. break from it, you know. So that's, well, well done you. And do you mind if I, before we get into your, your own story then, did you know anybody on any of the crews on the United Airlines planes that did come down? Did you know anybody personally? No, no, I did not. I might have known some of the flight attendants because I flew out of Newark quite a bit to London, and uh, that was the Newark crew that went in in Pennsylvania. But uh, yeah, going over them, I was the second flight out of Newark going to London, and uh, when I, I always went down and briefed the flight attendants uh, on the flight. Uh, what we were doing and all. And uh, when I went down there on, when, I don't remember what day it was in September because they were down for a week, but uh, it was like going to a funeral. These flight attendants were all crying and hugging one another. Uh, it was a pretty sad scene, but uh, yeah, it was sad all the way around. It was terrible, yeah. I remember broadcasting about it live. Our, our radio station, we were five hours ahead of New York time. So our mid-morning talk show had ended when it began, but we had to come back on air and kick off the music shows to report on it. And it'll stay with me to this day because it really was awful. This, Because we believed at the time that, you know, this could happen, that um, Islamist terrorists could do this. And if they could do it in the United right. States, they could do it anywhere. Let, right. let me just remind our listeners, 911pilots.org, you're listening to Captain Dan Hanley, an incredibly experienced pilot. He's done it all in aviation. And he's leading, he's one of the leading voices um, amongst um, pilots who are asking questions and demanding answers about what really happened on that day. When Do you remember when you first heard or even when you first thought that something might be off here. When did it occur to you that the the flight plans or the flight paths taken by the pilots 
would have been very difficult for inexperienced pilots. When did you think something was up, Dan? Well, it wasn't so much the flight paths because I wasn't aware of them initially. So much so as the uh, when they came out with the experience level of the pilots. They said that they had flown mainly Cessna aircraft and uh, had some training. I mean, they came out right away with the names of the hijackers and said, we know everything about them and where they trained, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's what I couldn't understand because I flew the little Cessna airplanes uh, 56 years ago. And uh, I also flew the 757-767 aircraft. And I thought, come on, this can't be possible. How and then I thought, well, they must have had extensive training somewhere to even be able to operate the aircraft because of the stark differences between just the two cockpits alone, never mind the size and weight of the airplane and the thrust of the engines. So that was that was the first thing I thought something was amiss here that uh, they're not they're not being forthright with this. And could you were you comfortable with raising this issue, with speaking about it? Because I can imagine. There's always a worry, isn't there? And we'll talk about, you know, it did have consequences for you. Obviously, it did, um, because you were brave enough to, to speak out. But when it first occurred to you, did you kind of look around and think, well, maybe I should keep this to myself? Or did you come straight out and begin to speak with people? Well, it wasn't that issue I started talking about, Richie. It was the safety, it was the security issues, because the flight attendants I was flying with lost friends in Newark, uh, I mean, in say, Pennsylvania, and they were very sad and very nervous in the back. And there was a bunch of promises made by the FAA and United on cameras in the back of the airplane, secondary barrier protection, federal air marshals, etc. And none of that was happening. And these flight attendants said, "You've got to say something." Well, being a captain, I felt it was my responsibility to do that. And I went in initially and just saw my chief pilot, and they were saying to me. Dan, these guys are nasty. They're very difficult to work with. Keep your head down. And I said, well, I'm having to deal with uh, flight attendants that are scared back there. And I told them I'd address the issue. So I'll make this short because I can make it a real long story. But what I wound up doing, Richie, was uh, I sent reports into the company. And I was getting blowback. I was getting blowback like, watch it, Dan. These guys are nasty. If you take the next step, you're going to get hurt. Well, they start stonewalling federal reports on me. And I thought, well, this isn't going to cut it. So what I wound up doing was file a report that brought the FAA in. Because United was in the middle of bankruptcy at the time. And uh, I didn't want to bring this to public light, the safety issue, or the security issue at United. But what I didn't realize at the time, well, I do now, was... I was exposing the fraud of the security system because there were so many holes in it and they couldn't have me out on the line talking about this stuff. So they wound up, uh, I, once I sent the report in that included the FAA, they took me out of schedule and said I had to come up to uh, New York to talk to the chief pilot. Well, the union had already told me that they weren't going to follow me in very far. They weren't going to represent me. So I told the company, well, okay, I'll come in, but i got to have an attorney because I don't have legal protection and I'm out on a limb here. And they wouldn't let me do it. So we were at an impasse. There's much more to this story here, but we were at an impasse. And the next thing I know, my chief pilot called me, who was a good friend of mine, said, Dan, I met the chief flight sergeant out in Denver, and he asked if you were one of my guys. And I said, yes. And he says, put the expletive deleted on sick list. 
I hadn't seen a, a, a flight surgeon or anything. He said, my hands are tied, Dan. Sorry, I've got to do it. Well, you've only got so much sick list on the book, books, and I was running out and was going to go non-pay. So it was going to be punitive just for me sending in a federal report. So I called him up and he said, Dan, submit to the employee assistance program. They'll guarantee your pay will come in. All you have to do is go along with what the company says. We'll fly you up to Chicago and you'll meet with the flight surgeon. So I knew I knew in advance what they were going to try to do to me, Richard, because I had seen it before and the lawyers had warned me that if they can't get you medically or professionally, they'll go after you psychologically or otherwise, right? So to protect myself, I never flunked a check ride in my life or or a psyche valve or a medical. And so I went to a, the best psychiatrist and psychologist I could find in Atlanta and said, here's where I am with United. Here's what they're going to try to do with me. I'll come for therapy if you want, run tests on me. I just have to prove that I'm mentally stable, which they did. So when I got up to Chicago, they sent me over to medical. And the first thing the, the aeromedical professional asked me, this doctor was, have you seen have you seen a mental health professional? I go, yeah, would you like to talk to him? And I gave him the phone. And my intent at that time was to go file an FAA whistleblower report uh, to expose this whole thing because I had a correspondence trail a mile long. I had recorded some phone conversations. I had witnesses, et cetera. So I, I thought, okay, I've seen this happen so many times at United and elsewhere that I'm going to expose this publicly. And uh, it didn't happen. Long story short, they sent me over to see a psychiatrist. I spent 15 minutes with her one day, and she said, I'm going to diagnose you as bipolar. My God. Which I hadn't ex exhibited any symptoms of bipolar disorder. I almost laughed when she said it. And I said, well, I have mental health professionals in Atlanta that beg to differ with you. Well, long story short is they ran this thing through the FAA in Washington and through the union uh, uh, aeromedical consultant on Denver, and they grounded me for life as a pilot. Well, I thought I could fight it. I spent five years of my life. I couldn't find an attorney that would represent me going up against the biggest airline in the world, the victim airline in 9-11 and bankruptcy and they'd, we'd be fighting in the corrupt Chicago court system. So I couldn't find one. So I set out trying to expose this myself and wasted five years of my life because they closed my case without interviewing a single witness or reviewing any of my evidence. And I, I had gone to everybody up to and including the president on this. And uh, I, I got ripped off big time, Richard, because, Richie, because uh, it destroyed it, ultimately destroyed a 27 year marriage which alienated my two kids who blamed me for the divorce, still believe the official 9-11 story, think I'm a whacked-out conspiracy nut, and they don't talk to me to this day. And it destroyed a 35-year career in aviation and ruined my reputation as a pilot, and I lost $4 bucks. So uh, I lost a lot just for stepping out of line and sticking my head out of the foxhole. So in retrospect, if I had to do it over again, would I? Probably, but definitely not do it the same way, knowing what I know now. I mean, we're talking the 2002-2003 time frame, and I still thought we had a government with politicians that cared, but I found out we don't. You answered my 
my next question because I was going to ask, did it come at a personal cost to you? And you've answered yeah. it. It 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 led to your marriage breaking up and I'm I'm really sorry. I I know I don't know you personally, but when I say that I yeah. mean it. You know, presenters are supposed to say I'm sorry. I'm genuinely yeah. sorry. And I'll tell you what I'm most sorry about is people like yourself are supposed to be protected. There there are rules about retaliation. When you blow the whistle on a company and you were right. you you'd gone to United Airlines, you, you'd done the right thing, you'd gone to your own company. You hadn't told anybody else, you hadn't told the news media, you'd gone to them and you'd said, Look, the planes are not safe. This is dangerous. And, you know, it might have prevented what happened on September the 11th and you've got to fix it. And they were in bankruptcy. Um, um, they, they, were, they were in a very dire uh, situation financially. And they tried to cover it up and they go after you like that when you yeah. should have been protected. Can I ask you um, just a, a quick technical de- detail? If you had first of all filed a whistleblower report, would that have led to a better outcome for you? Like if the very first thing you had done was try to get whistleblower status, would that have made it more difficult for them to retaliate against you? No, because the system's totally rigged, Rich. You, right. As a matter of fact, we're going to start another grassroots organization called the Whistleblowing Airline Pilots Association, and we intend to expose this whole system that they got up. I, I was working with the National Whistleblower Center and the Government Accountability Project in Washington, D.C., which is the two biggest whistleblower advocacy groups in the world, and one of those groups told me late in the ball game, Dan, if you're a federal whistleblower in the United States, you stand less than a 2% chance of winning your case. The system's rigged against you. So I don't think if I had tried that, I mean, when I filed that, it was called a flight safety awareness report. When I filed that, that implicated the FAA. That was almost the equivalent of filing an FAA whistleblower report. Yeah. And what about your colleagues, the people who worked with you, people who worked under you, you know, your flight attendants and co-pilots? Did you get any sort of support from them or camaraderie during that time, or did they abandon you? Initially, they supported me, but when uh, I was taken out of schedule, one of my close friends in New York called me and said, Dan, I, he was the chairman of professional standards in New York, and he goes, Dan, I just got a call from the union lawyers in Chicago, and they said everyone is to break off communications with Dan Hanley. So my heart sunk because uh, guys that I thought were my friends turned their back on me. And they, they let my uh, my career and my family get flushed down the drain. So uh, that was pretty hard to take. And is, do you think there's any chance? I mean, time can sometimes be a great healer. Yeah. And I don't know how much you know about this radio show, but it's very interactive. So at the moment, messages are pouring in to you, for you, they're coming through an app, so the program has its own app and there's some beautiful uh-huh. messages coming in from people, many of whom seem to know far more about you than I do which is unsurprising to me, my listeners are um, far more aware of what's going on than I am, but they're, they're saying some lovely things, I've got one here from Katrina, I've never heard this man before, Dan, but he sounds lovely, you can't fake it on radio he's obviously a lovely, decent, gentle kind soul, how sad that he was excommunicated from his family says Katrina. It's a lovely message. Yes, um, it is. Thank you, Katrina. Yeah, and th- th- as time goes on, what do you think about, you know, maybe reconnecting with the children, maybe, and having a more cordial relationship with your ex-wife? Is that something you, you, you well, you'd have, like to happen? I do. 
I do have a cordial relationship with my ex-wife. And uh, actually, my daughter's broke off communication with her, but my son still talks to her. But uh, I don't have their phone numbers. But I send them email, one-way email. I don't get a response. A podcast that I do, hoping they'll listen to one or two of them and see what I'm really all about. But uh, I've uh, written my memoir. I had a guy come to me and said, Dan, isn't it about time you write a book? And he co-authored it with me. And the editor has it right now. And it's called Grounded. And it's got a subtitle, but uh, it tells the whole story there. And I really wrote it as a manuscript to give my kids that maybe they'd read it before or even after I wasn't here anymore and see what it was or that, that I wasn't a whacked out conspiracy nut and yeah. what it was their dad was trying to do. I hope you have many years left on this planet, um, Dan, and I'm sure you will have. But yeah. um, I've heard it said too many times. I've had friends over the years who fell out with their parents and then a parent passed away and it devastated the kids that they hadn't reconciled with their parents. And I hope that your children that their own friends will tell them, you know, you've only got one father, you've only got one Captain Dan, and if anything ever happens to him, you'll never forgive yourself for not reconciling. It's not as if you did them any harm. I mean, you stood up and you said, look, this needs to be in the public domain, this needs to be discussed, and for that you were targeted and and ultimately your career was destroyed. Look, um, I want to mention 911pilots.org. We've got Captain Dan Hanley. And I suppose I should just ask some of the questions the listeners are asking uh, by way of All you right. continuing to tell this story. Dan, is it true? So the, the, the man who was supposed to have crashed into the Pentagon, I believe the right. man's name was Hanny Hanyor. And right. I think you said, and you've said many times over the years, because I've been doing a lot of research into you, that this guy's skills had to be basic, average, or even rudimentary. And all he had was a twin-engine flight experience. This guy had never been in the cockpit of a commercial jet liner. And yet he is supposed to have executed an astonishing feat of aerobatics in descending out of the sky over DC and crashing into the side of the Pentagon while flying only several metres above the ground. So here's the question. Is it true, because I don't know what is and isn't true, is it absolutely true that... Pilots like yourself, experienced men and women, went into simulators and attempted to execute the exact same flight plan and manoeuvres of Hani Hanuar, but failed to do it because it's impossible. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, another group, a grassroots group called Pilots for 9-11 Truth, run in simulator time and very experienced pilots attempted the manoeuvre. The ch- real challenge is to get it down a few feet off the ground at 500 miles an hour without skidding the surface and trying to do that gracefully. But uh, they'd crash the simulator attempting the maneuver. There's there's more to the story, though, Richie, unless you want to ask me another question because... Uh, no, no, I won't. I'll get out of your way. You tell us more oh, about okay, it. Okay, okay. Hani Hanjur, one month prior to 9-11, went to the freeway airport. Well, first of all, let me back up. He did have... Uh, documented, even in the mainstream media, that he was a very poor student. He'd come to this uh, this country in the mid-90s, went back to Saudi Arabia, and returned before 9-11. And he was such a poor student that when he tried to re-enroll in a school he was in, they wouldn't take him because they didn't want to waste assets on him. So this poor student was supposed to have performed this maneuver and accomplished hitting the Pentagon on his first attempt. 
but he goes to the freeway airport in Bowie, Maryland, one month prior to 9-11 and tries to run a Cessna 172, which is a little prop job, single engine prop job. And when you go to a fixed base operator like that, they have to, you have to prove them you can fly. So they usually take you up on an evaluation flight. Well, Hani Hunter went up on three separate evaluation flights with two instructors, a guy named Ben Connor and a woman named Sherry Baxter. And they went to the chief instructor pilot there who I talked to recently and confirmed this story, his name Marcel Bernard, and said, don't rent him an airplane, he can't fly it. Now, this was the Cessna 172, one month before 9-11. So what does Hanjur do? He goes down the road to another fixed base operator, Congressional Air Charters, and goes up flying with a man named Eddie Shalev who came back and said he was a good pilot. Uh, who, who, well, what happened was these same pilots were all interviewed by the FBI and the 9-11 commission, sta commission staffer. So what appeared in the 9-11 commission final report, just an end note mentioning Eddie Shalev's name one time and stating that he was a good pilot. They didn't even, uh, Ben Connor, the male pilot that went up flying with him, said he was expecting a call to testify before the 9-11 commission, but it never came. Now, this information, which is critical, proving that Honey Hunter couldn't fly, was suppressed by Philip Zelikow, the executive director of the 9-11 commission, and Robert Mueller's FBI at the time. So who was Eddie Shalev? He was an Israeli that was in the Israeli Defense Force that came to the United States a few months prior to 9-11. So you can draw your own, own conclusions there about who he might have been, but uh, that was a critical piece of evidence that should have been before. It would have blown the whole 9-11 story all to hell had that been permitted to be presented to the 9-11 Commission. Yeah, it didn't get into the report. And Thomas Keane was the man who headed up the 9-11 Commission. And he is, on right. the rec he is on the record as basically disowning his own report because he says, and this is a direct quote from him, it was set up to fail. Right. They were right. given less money. They were given three million lousy dollars to investigate right. the biggest terrorist attack on US soil in history. And right. 50 million dollars was spent on finding out whether or not Bill Clinton received oral sex from an intern. Right. And, that's, and it, was time, yeah. it was time constrained as well, uh, Richie. It was. I, I, uh, they wrote a book called Without Presidents, the Inside Story of the 9-11 Commission, where they revealed all this. But I interviewed a guy named Ray McGinnis that lives in Toronto who was working with the next to Kent. And he wrote a book called Unanswered Questions, what the family asked and the 9-11 Commission ignored. And when I was talking to him, he said, that, I mean, the 9-11 Commission wouldn't have happened had the next to Ken not demanding it. And Bush fought it all the way for 14 months and it finally convened in November 2002. And the next to Ken came in with a whole series of questions they wanted answered. And 70% of them went unanswered and of the remaining 30%, only 10% were answered adequately. So imagine if you're the next to Ken, knowing you, the government's lying to you and holding things from you, uh, how yeah. you'd feel, where, where can you go? 
There's uh, nowhere to go. And speaking of former President George W. Bush, again, please correct me now if I make a mistake, because I might do. Didn't Bush only agree to testify before the commission, so long as he was in the same room as Dick Cheney, and that they testified together and not separately? Am I right in saying that? Not only that, they refused to testify under oath. That's right. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. How despicable is that? Is this that a, the the the, the commander in chief could could dictate the terms of a national inquiry? Right. It's disgusting. Well, there's a there's a lot of things about the government that disgust me, Richie. Uh, I what we've done. I, let me, if I could, just mention about what nine eleven pilot whistleblowers is all about. Please do go ahead. Okay, because uh, our purpose is to show that there were no Muslim hijackers controlling the 9-11 aircraft, but that the aircraft were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled through employment of a system called the uninterruptible autopilot, which enables the remote source to take complete control of the aircraft autopilot and flight management computer and fly the aircraft to a designated target. Now, once this system is engaged, the pilots can't disconnect it, and we contend that this is what was used because the hijackers were not qualified to fly the aircraft. Can we stop we there? Can we stop there? And by the way, I will not sure. interrupt you again now. We've got loads of time because this is massive. Some years ago, many, many years ago, a gentleman in, named Field McConnell came on this program. Now, there will be people listening to this program and they will have many different opinions of Field McConnell. There will be people who think Field is crazy. Uh, there are people who say he's incredibly eccentric. There are people who will say he was completely obsessed with his sister and the job that his sister did for the US government. And there are others who swear by Field. My experience with Field McConnell, and it's not for me to endorse anybody. I never do. I let my listeners make their own minds up. I enjoyed my conversations with Field. I found him to be, obviously his credentials stacked up. He, like yourself, incredibly experienced aviator. And he was the first person to mention the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot to me. And it blew my mind. And he said something. This is the reason I interrupted you now. I shouldn't be interrupting, but I want yeah. to interrupt because this is important. He said to me that as far as he understood it, even, say, go back six years ago, to seven years ago, to when maybe the last time we spoke, maybe six years ago. I think he's been in prison since. He said to me, Field, that pilots are not aware of this. Could that be true that commercial airline pilots working on Boeing-made planes are not aware that the technology is on the plane, that somebody can take control away from the pilots and fly it from the ground? Is that true? Absolutely, Richard, Richard, because what I was going to mention next was one of our goals of our organization is recruit highly trained and experienced pilots, whether they're active, retired, military, or civilian, which we've done, and we've interviewed them. And we've got it on videotapes, and it's on our website under pilot interviews. But uh, they they say not only could the hijackers not have flown the airplane, but I couldn't have flown it myself. And when I talked to them initially about the uninterruptible autopilot, they go, "Get out of here! There's no way. There's nobody. It's a well kept secret. Nobody knows about it. People say there's no such thing, but we have the patent on it. There's even a Wikipedia article if you Google." uninterruptible autopilot, or more specifically, Boeing Honeywell uninterruptible autopilot, you get a Wikipedia article, and it says what I just said about what the system's capable of doing, but it's misleading because it says Boeing 
patented this system in 2006. Well, if you're a reader, you go, oh, that's good. They came up with an anti-hijacking device to prevent what happened on 9-11 from occurring again. But the reality is, it, it is true. They did patent it and Boeing patented it in 2006. But we have informants that have come forward who have proven that the system was developed and produced in the mid-90s, five or six years before 9-11. In the mid-90s. Now, would this be a physical thing on the plane or is it software? Like, is there a hardware box or something? And if so, has anybody managed to photograph it or, yeah, photograph it or film it? Not that I'm aware of, uh, Richie. It's got its own power source. So the, the nightmare for the pilots, this airplane takes off on its own. They can't disengage the autopilot. And if they, even if they, there's about four different ways of disengaging an autopilot. Hit the switch that you turned it on with. There's a button on the yoke or the steering wheel you push. You apply a 70 pound or greater force on one of the controls or you pull the circuit breaker on the system. Well, even if you pull every circuit breaker in the airplane to try to cut off electrical power, it's got its own power source. So there's nothing you can do about it. Can you so imagine? State, yeah, it'd be a nightmare. Imagine it. And Jesus Christ. Imagine those pilots on September the 11th. Imagine being in the cockpit and right. it's been taken out of your control and all of right. a sudden the World Trade Center looms in front of you. My God. Captain yeah. Dan Hanley, can you imagine that? And you're at the controls, you're a 20-year man or a 20-year woman, 25 years in the business, you know your job, and there's nothing you can do, only sit there and watch that building loom in front of your eyes. That's horrifying. Yes. Well, you know, there's this big argument about whether the hijackers are even on board because there's no camera footage of them actually getting on, getting on board the airplane. But there's a, enough... Uh, uh, there was a few transmissions that left the airplane, the one that hit the North Tower and uh, the one in Pennsylvania that indicated there was something going on in the airplane, which I, I believe they were on the airplane. So did they uh, kill the pilots, I suspect, and uh, took control of the airplane and thought they could fly it and wound up getting it hi electronically hijacked and uh, done? And there's a, other groups of people, and it's probably people, if you're reading chat right now, Richie, that are saying, the idiots, there were no airplanes, because there are actually people out here that believe there was CGI, holograms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've come across project. these people before. And I, right. I'm, I'm somebody who genuinely respects everybody's opinion and their right I to do. believe, but I don't share that opinion. I don't. Yeah, and I, I don't. Yeah. It's outside the scope of 9-11 pilot whistleblowers. We don't, even, we don't even address that. We don't even talk about Shanksville. And the other issue is whether it was a missile or an airplane that hits a Pentagon. And I say, okay, suppose you're right and it was a missile because they say the hole in the Pentagon was too small, there was no debris or body parts, uh, and they give a couple other issues that they try to convince you that it was a missile that hit the Pentagon. I say, okay, fine, then what happened to American 77? Where did it go? It yeah. had crew and passengers on board. So can I throw I say, can I can I throw a, a boomerang into the mix here? Now? Sorry to, again, sorry to interrupt you, but oh no no no, I, please I, interrupt whatever you want. I I did, I did a show in Marbella years ago for a radio station called uh, Talk Radio Europe, and I interviewed a man called Alan Kilsheimer. Have you ever heard of him? No, uh, I haven't. Interesting character. He was a structural engineer called to assess the damage at the Pentagon 
before the exterior ring collapsed. So moments later. Now, he is one of these kind of anti-conspiracy theory guys. So this guy completely believes that a plane hit the Pentagon. So he believes this. But he, but yeah. he's a nice guy. He's honest. So I interviewed him years ago. I interviewed him like 15, 14, 13 years ago. And I said to him, what did you see there? Debris and stuff. Nothing. So he believed a plane hit it, but he found yeah. nothing. I said, yeah. nothing, wings, engine, parts, nothing. What does that mean, Dan? It, I mean, if a plane did hit the Pentagon, and I'm not saying it didn't because I don't know, it would mean then that it would have had to basically vaporize upon impact. Can that happen? Well, you know, they say there's no wing markings on the building, and that's the peculiar part, and they say the hole's too small. But uh, I guess it technically could when you consider the kinetic energy of a 100-ton aircraft doing 500 miles an hour. Uh, that's a lot of energy. but uh, And the momentum driving it through the building. But uh, I, I'm in touch with a bunch of different whistleblowers that are involved in investigating different things, and one of them is David Chandler, who has a group who showed me on Skype share screen one night with another guy, uh, all this data they had collected from, there was a flight data recorder that was damaged at the Pentagon, but they managed to extract data from it. And he had convincing evidence to show that American 77 hit the Pentagon. But then there's another guy, Adam Eisenberg, I know, who was a first responder and was inside the Pentagon, one of the first people to get in there. And he said there was no airplane in there. And David Chandler says, well, yeah, there were airplane parts and people that the DNA matched to the passengers. So uh, I don't I don't know what to believe. And that's why, given where we are at 9-11 pilot whistleblower, we don't have to address that. No, of course or, not. And as the hijackers couldn't have flown the airplane, and there's a system called the uninterruptible autopilot that could. Well done. I really appreciate that. It's what, it's what I like about you. You're open-minded. And uh, and it doesn't matter if there are one or two disagreements, even if they seem to be disagreements about very important aspects. The fact remains that the hijackers couldn't have flown the planes in the manner we were told they did. And the fact remains that the Boeing un- uninterrupted autopilot is real. It was designed in the 1990s. And there is enough evidence to warrant a serious investigation into whether or not it was used on September the 11th. And it, I suppose it's too... It's just too awful for people. Like your children. Um, God love your children. Uh, you love them. Um, but they're not alone. Most people that we encounter in our daily comings and goings, they can't imagine, uh, uh, Dan, they can't imagine that there is evil in the world that would do something like that, that would kill 3,000 people and ruin lives and break up families and, you know, devastate um, everything. Um, for 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 whatever their agenda, people people just can't get their heads around it. Like, there's a friend of mine listening to this really with great interest, and she's just said to me, to this day she will bring Building Seven up at a dinner party, Dan, and yeah. people are completely unaware that a third building collapsed in New York on September the 11th. How frustrating is that? Exactly, and that is the real smoking gun of the building collapses. They've got so much data. You're familiar with the uh, four-year research that the University of Alaska did, Professor Holsey and his group. Yeah. And the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is part of the U.S. Department of Commerce, has said, no, 
fire office fires brought the building down. And another group called the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry has taken this thing all the way through the court system up to the Supreme Court, who refuses to hear their case. And it's a slam dunk case for the Lawyers Committee if they could get it into a legal court system, but they can't. So Yeah, and we know, we know that there were explosions in the basement or in the subterranean levels of the World Trade Centers before the planes hit. We know this because we've seen right. photographs with the foyer destroyed, with the walls cracked in the foyer on the ground level. I mean, it's all there, all the evidence you need that something terrible happened, that it was not what we were told by the mainstream media and by politicians. Just quickly, do you, I know you don't care. No, I don't mean you don't care about it. You do care about it. But um, I know that um, 911pilots.org, you're concerned with proving that the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot exists and may have been involved and probably was involved and that the pilots couldn't do it. So I know that's your, 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 your central uh, kind of area of work. I totally get that. But on the reasons why um, the famous General Wesley Clark maintained that the military-industrial complex, the neocons, they had plans for the Middle East, for Libya, for Afghanistan, for Iraq. Is that the why, do you think, Dan, to get the American people to back crazy wars in the Middle East? Is that what was going on, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, General Wesley Clark visited the Pentagon, as you know, a few weeks after the event and found out from a friend of his there that they planned to invade seven countries in five years and topple or destabilize the uh, the governments there. And if you look at the fact that $6.2 trillion was spent on the war on terror, it might have been more than that. And the profits reaped by the mil- military industrial complex, the Raytheons, the Carlaw groups, you name it out there, uh, and you look at the Greater Israel Project and the stranglehold that Israel has on every level and branch of the U.S. government and the fact that they claim, according to the Greater Israel Project and biblical prophecy, that they're entitled to all lands from the Euphrates to the Nile River. When you look at those, every most crimes have a means and a motive. Well, Osama bin Laden did not have access to an uninterrupted autopilot, okay, and his motive was weak. But you've got both the means, both with Israel and the United States, and the motive that I just mentioned. The, yeah. the prophets, the prophets, plus United States imperialistic designs on the planet Earth. So there, there is a motive, there was a motive there for this. There's an unholy, I mean, it is an unholy alliance, isn't it? The Israeli-US alliance. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I am no fan of the state of Israel. And anybody who listens to this um, will know that I spend a lot of time, and I have done over the years, um, criticizing Israel and trying to expose its crimes. I mean, yeah. it's it's committing genocide in in Gaza as we speak. There's no doubt about that. And I understand that because I've argued this point because I like to be the devil's advocate, and I've had people on this program who believe that Israel was heavily involved in 9/11, and I argue that maybe they were, maybe they weren't, maybe maybe you know the CIA, the NSA. They didn't need to farm it out. But I understand why people think, and I'm not saying Israel was not involved. I don't know. Israel may very well have been involved. What we can say with total certainty is no country benefited more than Israel um, to what happened on September 11th. And of course, we had the 
crazy story which cannot be debunked, which is the dancing Israelis, these lads who'd come into the country and who were set up to film the attacks happening. Again, it's a story that was reported by the mainstream media and then, Dan, they dropped it like a hot potato, didn't they? Exactly, and Michael Chertoff let him go back to Israel. Yeah. And after they got over there, they got on public TV and said we were sent over there to film the event. Yeah. And indicate they had foreknowledge it was going to occur. So it's really obvious just from those people. There, there's so much, uh, Richie. You talk about the project for a new American century and the fact that one year prior to 9-11, they issued a paper called Rebuilding America's Defenses yeah. where they were calling for the need for a new Pearl Harbor. That's right. They said, they said change will be slow, something like absent a catalyzing event similar to Pearl Harbor. That's right. These bastards, right. excuse my bad language, but these bastards like Bill Kristol and Paul Wolfowitz and Cheney, these madmen, they said that yeah. they, they wanted to take America down a certain path. Right, of dominance, of military dominance around the world. But we can't get the American people to support it because guess what? The American people are nice people. Just like everybody else around the world. They just want to go to work, pay their bills, have a holiday, love their children. So what do we need to do? We need to have another Pearl Harbor. You're right, Dan. Right. And within a year, we have another Pearl Harbor. Exactly. And that same organization in 1998, January of 98, wrote a letter to... Bill Clinton at the time, expressing a strong desire to go in and topple Saddam Hussein. And they, without any justification for doing so, and five years later, with shock and awe, thanks to Wolfowitz, they got their wish. They got their wish, yeah. Here's one from Stuart. I'm going to read out some lovely, me some lovely messages for you, by the way. But, okay. but here, here's a bit of criticism for Captain Dan from Stuart. Dan, you're going to get it in the neck. Here's a Stuart for you. He says, he says, Richie, Dan said the suspected pilot couldn't have carried out the manoeuvre to hit the Pentagon. But yet Dan still believes or still considers that a plane may have hit it. So that's a good question from Stuart. So if a pilot couldn't do it, why do we think somebody remotely flying could do it? Because the dynamics of the airplane are the same, and its ability. Right. So, could could you explain that for us, Dan, if you don't mind? Yeah, and I'm not saying one way or the other whether it was an airplane or a missile, but assuming it was an airplane, most people don't realize that the advanced navigation system on today's modern commercial jet aircraft is actually derived from cruise missile technology. Is it? I whatever, didn't know this. Yes, whatever you plug into that flight management computer, you plug in a. Waypoints are geographic points on the ground and a corresponding speed and altitude at each point. So it defines a trajectory in the computer and whatever it's programmed, that's where it's going within a few meters. That's how accurate it is. And you, this is exhibited when you enter into an airport with inclement weather where the visibility goes down below 1,200 feet that they can see down the runway. Pilots are required to make an auto land of the airplane. So they latch up all this stuff and the aircraft track land, touches down on the in the touchdown zone and tracks down the center line of the runway all on autopilot. And pilots actually have to disconnect the autopilot to clear the runway. So it, it's accurate and it could do what uh, the system claims it can do. Right. So it, it could do what you know full well that Hani Hanjwar could not have done. So he right. couldn't do it. But but maybe the computer could do it if it was being flown from the ground. Fair enough, and that's a possibility. I wonder why they didn't release the film. 
I mean, they were quite happy to show the planes hitting the towers, as you quite rightly said. It was awful. It was terrible. They kept doing it for days and days and even weeks. But, um, I mean, if they wanted to terrorise people and convince people we need to be fighting wars, why did they just release or simply release the one or two frames from the Pentagon and not release the entire film? That's always puzzled me, Dan. Well, I got into a debate on social media, which I normally don't do, saying, I, I said to people, look, it's senseless to argue on social media about whether it's a plane or a missile, because until the government releases, which I will never do, the footage from the Pentagon, we cannot conclusively prove what hit it. So yeah. it, obviously they didn't want us to see that it was an American 77, which which I lean towards a missile because of all, all the other reasons, but I'm, I'm not going on public record saying no, that. No, nor should you. I love this. You're, there's a bit of a politician in Captain Dan Handley. I reckon in a previous <laughs> life you were a senator from Massachusetts, maybe. Well. You might have been. No, but you're right. I, look, I don't believe you're, you're you know, um, giving me evasive answers. You're not. You're, you are out to prove that the uninterruptible autopilot was in play and that the pilots couldn't do it. So I totally respect you saying... I don't want to get into arguments about things that we probably can't prove. Um, so we'll leave. The, the final thing I will say, and this is not to prove anything, it's just a fact as far as I understand it. But within a few minutes or 20 minutes of the incident at the Pentagon, the FBI went to every local building nearby, didn't they, Dan? And, conf right. and confiscated the the CCTV tapes. I mean, I mean, within minutes of it. I mean, yeah, that's that's always bothered me as well. You can find Captain Dan Hanley on Twitter. He is at Dan Hanley Four. Please follow him. Say hello to him. Um, the website is 911pilots.org. They, they've made a film which I've yet to watch, but I'm going to watch it. I can't wait to watch it. And it has been incredibly well-received. 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers is the film. What keeps you going, my friend? It's been 20... God damn, what is it? 23 years this year since the event. Look, there are people who... There are naysayers. And I'm not one of them now, but there are naysayers. You know, people who, who give up easily. Oh, oh, it's been too long, Dan. You know, it's been 60, right. 70 years since JFK was assassinated. What's the point? It's too late now. Now, I don't think it is too late. What motivates you to keep going and your colleagues? Well, uh, I didn't mention this, but I've lived in war-torn Pakistan the last 14 years. I met, fell in love with and married a Pakistani uh, after the, some years after the divorce. I wasn't going to marry again, but I did. Congratulations, but, uh, Dan. Oh, thank you. But uh, I've lived here and witnessed firsthand what Pakistan's forced participation in Bush's so-called war and terror has done to this country, its people, and the economy, which is in shambles. They lost 70,000 lives and $120 billion in this poor country. But also, the millions in the Middle East and South Asia have been killed, maimed, or displaced uh, as a result of these uh, illegal and unwarranted invasions of their country. I, Having been here because there was so much on the news here about suicide bombers and drive-by shootings, et cetera, when the war on terror was going full blast that uh, never made the mainstream meet news in the, in the States or elsewhere. I think it, you know, it did alter my perspective big time.
And I, I do feel that next to the next of kin, there's no group of people on earth who have been more harmed by 9-11 than the 2 billion Muslims on the planet uh, because of the lies. Islamophobia is still rampant. So I I have sympathies. I'm, I'm living amongst nine... Pakistan is the fifth most populated country in the world and is the second most densely populated Muslim country. It's got uh, 240 million Muslims here, 96% of the population. And I've gone out and I've had uh, PowerPoint presentations and distributed flyers where I get mobbed when I say there were no Muslim hijackers at the controls of the aircraft. They want the flyers and uh, want to know uh, what they can do. So... Uh, Going back to that, since we don't have a whole lot of time up there, Richie, uh, you, you've got to ask yourself, the lawyers' committee wasn't successful going all the way to the Supreme Court. What we did 30 months ago at 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers was we decided we were going to write the U.S. government, starting at the lowest level and working our way up, which we did. And we wrote letters, sent emails, and made phone calls, starting at the lowest level of the FAA, and we went to the Department of Transportation, their Inspector General, the FBI, the Assistant Attorney General Criminal Division, the Attorney General, the Director of National Intelligence, and even the President saying, hey, there's a system we know that exists, and it could have possibly caused not just the 9-11 airplanes, but Malaysia Air 370, Malaysia Air 17, the Metro jet that went down in the Sinai, a bunch of other accidents, and we wanted to investigate it. Well, we know because I feel the U.S. was complicit in the planning and exec execution of 9-11, I was pretty much satisfied with myself that we were going to get nowhere. And I was right. We got nowhere. We were completely stonewalled and totally ignored at every turn until last January. I was finally able to get the name and phone number of a senior attorney at the FAA. And he said to me, Dan, you haven't proven that the uninterruptible autopilot was used. I said, no, but we've proven Hani Hanjur couldn't fly. How, if American 77 hit the Pentagon, how did it get there? Long pause. And then he says to me, uh, we don't, FAA doesn't investigate, do criminal investigation, go to the Department of Justice. And I said, sorry, we've been there plenty of times. So uh, what we wound up doing was, since there's 2 billion Muslims on the planet, we thought, well, we'll go to the Muslim community. And we went to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in Jeddah and the Muslim World League in Mecca, which are like the United Nations for the uh, Muslim world, the collective voice of the Muslim world. And we said, look, we're in touch with all these other 9-11 whistleblower, I mean, 9-11 whistleblower organizations and individuals. We can bring you a wealth of information and evidence that will conclusively pr prove that the buildings were brought down by controlled demolition and that the aircraft were electronically hijacked. We didn't get any responses from the letters or emails, but I called the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in Jeddah and talked to them, but they uh, they stonewalled me. So I'm there's nowhere to go with all this. Everybody's got all this information. Everybody gets in arguments on social media on what happened, and I say, where are you going to go with your information? Even if you're certain you've got all the knowledge and information needed to prove that it was an inside job, who do you take it to? The U.S. government's not going to take it. No other Western government's going to take it. So the only 
recourse we have is to try to enlighten the global population of 8 billion people by doing programs such as this, Richie, and thank you for having me on. No, you're welcome. And, and Dan, is, is it um, b because by doing it, you hope that if a nation state attempts to do something similar again, that people b will be alive to it, they'll be aware of it. Is, is that exactly. a motivation? It is, it is. Exactly, exactly. I, I want to try to convince as many people as I can. People go, everybody knows it was an inside job, Dan, quit it. I go, no, based on emails and direct messages I get on Twitter and open comments, they don't. They're shocked when I put out information yeah, on they Twitter. Don't. They don't. Or X, whatever they call it. So as long as they're out there and there's still people like my two kids who still believe the official story, I'm myself and others are going to press forward for that very reason, Richie, because I be, feel there's another false flag just around the just corner. Just around the corner. What's going on, going I, on in Gaza. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Something major. No doubt about it. And thanks for speaking up as well on Gaza and what's happening to the people of Palestine. Um, thank you for doing that. I mean that, by the way. Um, few and far between people in the independent media these days. Uh, people are very scared or very nervous about criticising Israel because it has consequences even in the UK. But... Um, you you speak your mind. You say it as you see it, and I'm I'm very grateful uh, for, for you for doing that. When I think back, um, Dan, to that time, when I because I reported on it live, and I did what most mainstream presenters and anchors, news anchors, did at the time. I said what I was told to say. We were given press releases, and we just repeated them ver verbatim. And I'm ashamed of that. Really, I was a young man, but I I should have known better, and I didn't. I didn't do my job on the day or even in the weeks subsequently. I wish I had did my job, but I didn't. I can't change that now. But um, when I look back, the thing, one of the things that woke me up to it was, and it's almost laughable now, it's, it's, it's almost like a Monty Python sketch. Do you remember when Donald Rumsfeld told Charlie Rose um, and he showed him an artist's impression of a James Bond villain super cave in Afghanistan. Do you remember that? No, Did, I don't recall that. Oh, Google it when you're finished speaking with me, and Dan, okay. you're going to laugh yourself silly. Rumsfeld went on Charlie Rose, and he had an artist impression of a cave that would have done Blofeld in James Bond proud. A cave. Oh, which I did Remember I did this? See. With yeah, all of the yeah, rooms yeah. and all of this crap. And Char right. Charlie Rose sat there and he went, wow. Mr. Uh, Defence Secretary. It's incredible. And Rumsfeld said, yeah. And he, there's more than one of those. <laughs> he yeah. said he's got several. <laughs> he's got several layers cut out of, you know, like a Dr. Evil from, from Austin Powers. The fact that people swallow that, Dan, can you believe yeah. it, looking back? Well, it's just like the piloting issue, uh, Richie. We believe, and I've talked to other pilots about this, the bulk of a global population fell for the Hani Hanjur and the 19 angry Muslim hijackers was because they're not pilots and they cannot conceive of the absurdity of this ludicrous notion that these pilots could have possibly flown the aircraft. Because you've gone here 23 years and, you know, I put out something about the uninterruptible autopilot and people, oh, bull, that's not possible, okay. So you got to explain to them you go back to 1944, uh, 
which was eight, almost 80 years ago in England, the U.S. Army Air Corps launched Operation Aphrodite, where they got it out, old B-17 bombers and loaded them up with 30,000 pounds of torpex. And pilots were required to make the takeoff. But once they got airborne, they'd bail out of the airplane. And these things were, were t- electric. No, we're remotely guided to targets in Europe. Now, this was 80 years ago, Rishi, that they had remote-controlled airplanes. So we've got it on our website. You go to the remote control page. It gives a brief history of uh, remote-controlled aircraft. And the fact, even 17 years before 9-11, in uh, uh, 1984, NASA and the FAA conducted a joint crash test experiment where they took a four-engine commercial jet, a Boeing 720, loaded it up with crash dummies and cameras because they wanted to test crew and passenger survivability in the event of a crash landed. And they flew this thing around the pattern by remote control several times That's right. before they intentionally crash landed it. So the remote control stuff has been around for years. We've got a 66-page article that you can download on our website addressing Malaysia Air 370. And I know you had uh, Christopher Bolin on. I watched that interview. I yes. listened to that interview you had of him. That's right. So, uh, yeah, we believe in Malaysia Air 370, the Boeing 777 that disappeared out over the Indian Ocean several years ago, was also electronically hijacked and remotely guided to, uh, some people believe, the island of Diego Garcia. So, uh, and, when people, all- and when people ask, you know, people say, well, why? But... It's it's the old Latin phrase of qui bono, isn't it? You've only got to look at who benefits. Who benefited when right. MH370 went missing? Who benefited from it? Well, we know who benefited from it. We know the enemies of the Russian state benefited from it because they could make all manner of claims. That, that, I mean, that, 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 that's what people need to, to wake up to. When things happen, look at who has made the most of any event, whether it be a terrorist attack or a plane crash. And people need to do this, don't they, Dan? Start start thinking critically instead of, you know, succumbing to cognitive dissonance. Exactly, Richie. Uh, That's all the reason I'm out here doing what I... I I don't need to be doing what I'm doing. I'll be 75 in April, and I could just live out the rest of my life happily in retirement. But I feel like I know too much about 9-11 remain silent and I know too many other people out here that are doing the same thing because I get the same thing you were just talking about let it go it happened 22 years ago there's nothing you can do about it well when the next one comes around let's see how many people fall for it yeah absolutely it's the same with the COVID scam same thing you know they they convinced the world that a, a, a virus not much more dangerous than a cold they convinced them that it was a killer and people changed their lives they ruined their businesses and all that went with that and we talk about it time and time again in the hope that next time they try to pull a scam like that the people will say no i want to quickly um mention again 911pilots.org 911pilots.org for all the links dan mentioned you have been listening to the incredibly experienced um, aviator, uh, Captain Dan Hanley, who's um, fighting the good fight to tell people to, to demonstrate the technology 
to take control of planes from the ground exists and it probably more than likely was used on September the 11th and it's probably been used since and the pilots themselves um, the, 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 the hijackers the, the names we were given that these men couldn't have done couldn't have carried out these feats of aviation uh, Dan it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to speak with you and to meet you and if you want the final word I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get out of your way and you can have the final word today but I just wish you Godspeed. It sounds like you have a lovely life with uh, your wife in Islamabad. It sounds like it's idyllic for you there. So continued, yes, continued yes, success to you. And final word to Thanks. you then, Dan, if you'd, if you'd like to have the final okay. word. Well, real quick, I want to thank you, Richie, for having me on the program. I really appreciate it. I, I consider it a privilege and an honor to be here. I've been following you for years. So thank you for that. And once again, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at 911 Hanley 4 and you can, I'm on Facebook at Captain Dan Hanley. And also our website has a contact us page. And if you want to join us on our website, at the top of the page, all we need is your name and email address. And we'll put you on our email system and keep you apprised of what we're doing. But uh, again, thank you so much, Richie. It was I enjoyed an honor, it. Dan. I appreciate it. The honor, when I say the honor is mine, I really mean it. Will you do me a favor? Whenever there's a development at all, and there's a bit of news, just come back on, drop me a quick message, and we'll make room for you to come back on. You're welcome from here on in, Dan. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Richie. Take care. And you too, sir. Bye for now. Uh, Captain Dan Hanley, vastly, incredibly experienced aviator, commercial, civil airlines, naval aviator, uh, decades of experience, 911pilots.org. Dan and his colleagues continue to raise the case of September the 11th. And the, the asking the questions as to why people were suckered, why people were taken in to believe that the pilots, the incredibly inexperienced pilots, could have carried out those aeronautical, aerobatic manoeuvres. And also to talk about the uninterruptible autopilot, Boeing uninterruptible autopilot, which I first heard about on this programme many years ago when another ex- extremely experienced uh, pilot Field McConnell came on to talk about that. Right, back in a moment after this, I'll read your comments. There are many. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability, and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse, and you want relief, Go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our joint health supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day track delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at RichieAllen.co.uk Now here's an interesting comment from Baird. Imagine what could happen when... I mean, if all of our cars and trains are hacked and hijacked. There is a, there has been a call, hasn't there, for the, the cars of the future, electric cars, or driverless vehicles, where you'll sit there and the computer will drive the car. There have been calls to make them hackable by police forces 
in the cities where the cars are operational. I've seen this. Uh, I've read this. I read it in the Telegraph. In fact, I talked about it on this programme. There are those who want cars to be hackable by the police so that they can be stopped. Yeah, yeah. These are the times we live in. Hi to Peter, who mentions chemtrails. Peter, I've just looked at this now. I'll tell you what, I'll send Dan a message and I'll ask him, and maybe next time he comes on I'll ask him. I'm sure he has an opinion on um, chemtrails. Hi to Cassia. Hi, Cassia. She says, I wonder if Dan has considered asking Muslims around the world to be the ones themselves putting pressure on powerful official Muslim organisations to demand that the findings of the pilots like Dan are looked at and investigated. Uh, that's from Cathy. Thank you, Cathy. Yes. Yeah. I mentioned this before too many times. I am prone to doing that. I do throw in the odd repeat, don't I, sometimes. But listen, when I do take the Ubers, it's genuinely Asian drivers. And quite often Pakistani guys. And not often, but sometimes I'll throw in, you know, if they're chatty, they have to be chatty. And I might throw in a news story. I might say, you watch, you listen to this, are you following this? And uh, my experience has been, they know what's going on, you know. They're alive to it, basically. Thanks to Dave Young for your nice comments. I'll pass them on to uh, Captain Dan Hanley. Paul says, Richie, Donald Rumsfeld gave a speech on the 10th of September, one day before the event itself, um, that that the Pentagon could not account for a $2.3 trillion deficit. That's right, Paul. I've often mentioned this on the Richie Allen Show. I've often mentioned it because I remember talking about it. I was a journalist. I am a journalist, but I was a mainstream journalist. And this was announced on a Monday. And my presenter, the, the, the late, uh, truly great Billy McCarthy, we found this very amusing that a, you know, a very senior politician would announce such a catastrophic failure on a Monday. Ordinarily, if you're going to admit that, you know, you've completely failed as the Defence Secretary, you've failed completely, a complete dereliction of your duties, you would announce this on a Friday. Because it would, you would hope it would get lost over the weekend. And that by Monday, the news, the broadcast and print media are talking about something else. Very good point, Paul. Amazing that Rumsfeld on the Monday would say, we've lost $2.3 trillion. I mean, you're not talking about 50 bucks. You're not talking about 100,000 bucks. You're not talking about $50 million. You're talking about $2.3 trillion. Where did that money end up? Nobody has ever found out because the news media never looked at it again. Because the following day, that story was blown off the front pages, wasn't it? Well, the day after the following day. On the Wednesday. That's right. Hi to Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Richie, it has been proven, she says, there were no airplane tracks into the Pentagon and no trace of an airplane found at the scene. Now, I would definitely lean towards Patricia. I've said this over the years. I would lean towards a missile or something like that hitting the Pentagon. And I mentioned the structural engineer, Kilsheimer, who I interviewed in a bit of an exclusive now, years and years ago on Talk Radio Europe, when he said, yeah, I'm pretty sure a plane did hit it, but uh, not, uh, not a scrap of wreckage. Not a scrap. Now, there were photographs later. Photographs emerged showing kind of metallic bits kind of strewn around the lawn 
metallic pieces. There were photographs, weren't there? Some of them were painted blue and red. But um, it could be that those were placed there. I'm not saying they were. I don't have any proof of that. But uh, no, for me, definitely, the plane couldn't have done it. Now, I like, I really like Dan because Dan says, well, don't rule anything out. Yes, the uninterruptible autopilot program um, may have been able to input the manoeuvres that we know a human pilot could not have done. Because they tried to do the Hany Hanyuar descent, uh, 77, flight 77, descent to the, basically to the street, where it skimmed along the street without touching the ground, clipped lamp posts before smashing into the Pentagon. No human being could do it. Dan says, theoretically, you could do it fly by wire. So we got to give him, you know, credit for that. He's open-minded. Uh, Sue wants to thank Dan for his bravery. Thank you so much, Sue. That's a lovely message there. David remembers the conversations with Field McConnell. Um, it was the first time he listened to the Richie Allen show. And uh, it gave him goosebumps at the time. Thank you, David. And he's been listening ever since. Thank you, David. Tim says, it's no coincidence, Richie, that the Israeli government and governments um, have a fingerprint on almost every false flag event in living memory. That's unfair, Tim. That's unfair. Look, the Israeli government is just as capable of a false flag attack as any other. And I'm pretty convinced myself that the Israelis have been involved in some very big ones. But to say that they're involved in almost every one of them is unfair, in my opinion. But you see it differently, and that's fair enough. Uh, Jimmy says, Richie, the Asian community are far more aware of what's really going on. Hi to Darren, who says, what a delightful and hum humble man uh, Captain Dan is, simply trying to voice his deeply held belief that the truth is being suppressed to allow those behind these attacks uh, to create a more dystopian world with no criticism from the sellout mainstream media. Fascinating conversation with Dan, says Darren. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, I'm sure we'll meet Dan on this programme again in the near future. No doubt about it. We could, there are other aviation issues that Dan would have um, uh, plenty to say on, I, I reckon. And a number of you are telling me that the technology is already in. It has already been instilled or installed in the driverless vehicles. The hackability... The, the the ability of the law, John Law, John Law, to take over your car. Imagine. You know, we suspect you might be involved in something. So your car comes to a complete stop on the motorway. Because the plod, plod, as we call them here in Blighty, uh, the, the postman cop, you know. Yeah, we think you might have been, so car stops, nothing you can do about it. I know. I need a drink. <laughs> I need a double Bacardi with Coke on the rocks. I'll get one tomorrow week or Friday week, I think. I have to wait till Friday week. And even then, I'm probably not going to have one. Gaz says, not enough people are prepared to speak out due to the repercussions. And that is what the powers that be count upon. They count on it, says Gaz. People are scared. And, and Gaz, we know that in many cases, people have good reason to be scared. I've said it before, don't condemn people. I'm, Gaz, I'm not speaking to you. I know you're not doing this. But I say to people I know, don't condemn people. Walk in their shoes. You've got an expensive rental property. God love you, you don't even own your house. And it's impossible to get rental properties. And you've got a rental property. And it's £1,200 a month. And you have children. 
and you're in a job and you're barely keeping your head above the water. I understand when people say, I can't take a chance. And I'm not hypocritical when I say that because I do congratulate people who do take a chance, who risk their careers to, 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 to speak their truth. And we interview them on this programme. And when I tell them I'm proud of them, I mean it. But it doesn't make me a hypocrite when I say I understand the people who don't do it. Of course I understand it. Of course. You know, when I made the decision to turn down a fairly lucrative job back in 2014, in the mainstream media at the time, and my old friend David, David Icke would testify to this because David saw the offer. He saw the, you know, the approach. That's a good job, that, Richie. Plenty of money there. But you don't want to do it. The missus said you don't want to do it. But it was easy because we didn't have any children in school. We didn't have many bills to pay. We had no debt. So it was easy for me to turn down a very lucrative job <laughs> with a massive salary. Easy for me to, to kind of hold on to my principles. Maybe it wouldn't have been so easy with two or three children, rugrats, the little bollockses, to try and feed, you know, to feed and clothe them and send them to school and take them on holidays. You know, so I'm I'm not, you know, a saintly figure here. I'm not, but I do, I do think about, well, Richie, you know, give them a break, some of these people, you know. Anne says it is true that Asians are alive to the agendas. My da daughter has many Asian friends and they know, says Anne, they know what's going on. Thank you, Anne. Rob in Birmingham. Hi, Rob. Richie, you're right about the Asians. Sadly, 80% of white people still watch telly and believe it all. G-Man has been on to say, Richie, could it have been a Tomahawk missile hitting the Pentagon? Could be. And do you remember the flight that crashed in the field after the passengers tried to take back control of the third plane? Yes, Pennsylvania it was, G-Man. The media played audio from the plane, that's right. But when they showed the crash site in Pennsylvania from the sky, it showed a hole in the ground and no wreckage. I do remember that too. Hi to Scottish John. Hello, John. He says, Richie, I remember thinking the lawn at the Pentagon looked like Wimbledon Centre Court. <laughs> That's right. It was pristine. Jonathan, hello, Jonathan. In Ireland, just compared the collapse of Building 7 to any known demolition on YouTube. And you will understand why Building 7 did not collapse because of random fires, says Jonathan. Excellent, Jonathan. And thanks to everybody who sent in a message today. It is time for me to take my leave of you, your BBG. I'm back live tomorrow, Thursday at 7 at fucking 4, excuse me, 4 p.m. tomorrow. Sorry for swearing. 4pm, but the Papers podcast will be online sometime between 7am and 7.30 tomorrow. Please subs don't subscribe because you can't subscribe to it. Please listen to the Papers. It's shit, but it's good shit. It's good, clean and wholesome shit, alright? Closing out with Van the Man. Thanks so much again to Captain Dan Hanley. What a lovely gentleman. I really enjoyed meeting him today. And thank you as well. Bye now. Bye. I've been searching a long time Someone 